run for it. That's more or less the advice David was given by his counselors when his son Absalom gathered an army and began a revolt. But was that a good idea? And is that something that we should consider when something or someone threatens our well-being or quality of life? Well, that's what Dr. J. Vernon McGee talks about today on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus as we set off for another study in God's Word. So go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 10, and while you do that, here are a couple of letters from listeners, this time from our Hungarian program. So first, we hear from a listener in the North who says, Your messages strengthen me day by day. It is my desire to live out the things I hear from you in my everyday life, as well as model them in our small community. I like to share with people all the things I experience in my new life through my words and testimonies. I want to be a servant in spreading the gospel. And here's a note. This is from a listener in southern Hungary. I was taken to the hospital with a fracture in my neck. Understanding my pain, the patients in my room were afraid that I would moan a lot. But knowing that Jesus was with me helped me and made me happy. It was hard to not move at all. But when someone turned on my small radio, I heard the word of God. I forgot everything else. Once your program started with its opening music, a patient from another room passed by and asked to listen with me to my radio. Her presence also interested my roommates, and we all began to listen together regularly. Your messages gave us such great joy. After a while, we began to love each other as sisters. And whenever one would be released from the hospital, we had tears in our eyes as we said goodbye. I am now at home, but I still pray for them. I pray they still listen and that they have asked Jesus to be their healer and the Lord of their lives. Isn't that a great letter? Our last one comes from a listener in a small village. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, love, I greet you who work to share the gospel. Many of us have received blessings from the radio transmissions. By God's grace, I reached my 90th birthday this year. As time goes on, my memory fades, but the Bible verses I learn are still bright. When I can't sleep during the night, I think about the verses and songs that God has given to me, and I pray for you vigilantly. Well, if you'd like to join our world prayer team and pray for the ministry of Through the Bible vigilantly, then you can go ahead and sign up today by going to ttb.org forward slash pray. Now, as a team member myself, each day I get an email Monday through Friday with specific prayer requests, and from there I can quickly read it and pray. It is such a blessing to open your email when you've got that world prayer team email waiting. Again, the address is ttb.org forward slash pray. Check it out. Now let's bow our heads and commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the timeless truth that you've provided us through your word. May we hear the direction that you have for each of us today, and may we reflect your glory to all those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Psalm 10 through 12 on Through the Bible. Now we come back today to the 11th Psalm. And as we have already indicated, we're in a series of psalms from the ninth and ending with the 15th. And the Jewish remnant during the time of the Great Tribulation is in view. I think that's the ultimate interpretation of this section. It has a meaning and a message for God's people at all times. And that would be for you and me and the application of it. And these psalms can speak to our hearts, and I trust that they are. Now, the ninth and tenth psalms, we said, belong together. And we've seen it in both of them, Satan's man. The one that's to appear during the great tribulation period 
called Antichrist. And we have here a tremendous picture of him. One of the things that will characterize him, of course, as we saw last time, verse 4 of Psalm 10, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Pride is what identifies him. And our translation says God is not in all his thoughts. I think we can make it more emphatic and more literal by translating it like this. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Now there begins to emerge on the scene for the first time in the history of the world those that are atheists. You see that there were none back in the beginning. They were too close to the mooring mask of Revelation. After all, Noah knew a man who knew Adam. When you're that close to the Creator, you're not apt to deny the existence of God. And when the Ten Commandments were given, there's no commandment against atheism, but there was against polytheism, the worship of many gods. And that was the problem with man at the beginning. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. At the first commandment. Second, thou shalt not make unto thee any likeness of anything, heaven above earth, beneath beneath the earth, etc., and etc. Two commandments about polytheism, nothing about atheism. Why? There weren't any atheists at that particular time. Now they begin to appear as man moves away from revelation from the beginning. Why, then we find that man turns to atheism. And David will mention this several times in the Psalms. We'll wait till we get to another occasion to call attention to it. And there's something else that Antichrist will be. He'll be an atheist, filled with pride and boasting. And then there's something else that characterizes him. Verse 13 in Psalm 10 reveals, "...wherefore doth the wicked despise God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Now, he not only doesn't believe in God, but he despises him. And it's very interesting to despise somebody that doesn't exist. But apparently, he'd have to exist to build up this kind of bitterness and hatred. But what he says here, thou wilt not require it, what he's saying, there is no judgment. And that, of course, is the position of men today. great multitude of people are now emerging in our contemporary culture who are saying there is no God, or if he is, he's too far away for them to bother with him, and that there's not going to be any judgment. And that is the position that many, of course, today take. And when you take that position, then anything goes. And, of course, that's that philosophy that's back of the fact there ought not to be any kind of punishment or any kind of prisons or anything for criminals. And they say that the methods used today do not reform criminals. Whoever said that the purpose of the prisons and punishment was to reform? It never was. The purpose of it is to deter crime. That's the reason that God gave that. And judgment is coming. It's inevitable upon the earth. The closer we get to it, the less man believes in it. These are remarkable psalms, friends, because they amplify a great many truths that you get historically and prophetically in other portions of the Word. Now, that brings us now to this 11th psalm, which is quite a remarkable psalm, as we just indicated when we put our foot in the door 
your last time. And the question has always been, when did David write this psalm? It's called a psalm of David. It's a very brief psalm. And obviously, it was composed at a time when David was under pressure and persecution. And just when that was, it's difficult to identify. But Peroni has said this, and I'd like to give an extended quotation from him in light of the fact that I do not think anyone would call him a sound interpreter. He would come in the field of liberalism. But listen to what he says. And if he says this, I'm sure that most of us could go a little farther with it. Listen to it. The singer is in danger of his life, and timorous and faint-hearted counselors would fain persuade him to seek safety in flight. But full of unshaken faith in God, he rejects their counsel, believing that Jehovah, the righteous king, though he tries his servants, does not forsake them. Not the righteous, but the wicked have need to fear. The psalm is so short and so general in its character that it's not easy to say to what circumstances in David's life it should be referred. The choice seems, however, to lie between his persecution by Saul and the rebellion of his son Absalom. Dalich decides for the last and thinks the counsel, flee to your mountain, comes from the mouth of friends who are anxious to persuade the king to betake himself, as he had before done when hunted by Saul, to the rocks of the wild goats. It is in favor, to some extent, of this view that the expression in verse 3, when the foundations are destroyed, points to a time when lawful authority was subverted. And may I say that I think that's a remarkable statement coming from a liberal and this is one time, and you can mark it down, that I agree with the liberal. I think this psalm has reference, actually, to the time he fled from Absalom. And again, here's another expression from the heart of this great king, David. Now listen to him again. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. Get away from it all. Now, I believe today that in our mechanical society and very monotonous culture where you can sit in an automobile for seven hours on a freeway and it is very monotonous driving. Flying in an airplane today is a wonderful experience, but after you've been across the country and around the world, it really gets monotonous just to sit up there in a bus that's got big wheels. You're way up in the air, and there's not much to see up there, not much to do. My feeling is that it's very wonderful for a person to get away to a restful place, away from the noise of the traffic and the busy life and the noise of the city today, and to be out where he can rest and relax. I don't think that that would be harmful at all. But if you're trying to run away from your problems and you're trying to run away from a situation that you ought to face, why, it's not good advice. And if you're running away because of fear, and there are great many who are counseling David 
to run away and to actually get out of the country in that day. They were the ones that were very much afraid. And the reason for it was that here was this son of his actually seeking his life. And we read in verse 2, For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may secretly shoot at the upright in heart. In other words, those that were following Absalom now, they were willing to kill David, and they would have had they had the opportunity. And there was great bitterness on both sides. And finally, when Absalom joined battle with his father David, David didn't leave the land, you see. David retreated where he could reconnoiter. And then he came against his son and those that were aligned with him. And David gave specific instructions to his three captains. He says, remember my boy Absalom. Don't harm him. I want him saved. And Absalom made a big mistake fighting David and the veterans that were with him because David was a seasoned warrior. And he knew all the tricks of the trade. He knew how to fight out yonder in the woods and in the mountains and in the valleys. And Absalom and his men were not as experienced, and they lost. And the bitterness was on David's side, too, not in David's heart, but Joab, one of his captains, he said, that boy that's caused David such heartbreak and now leading this rebellion, and he'd kill all of us, including his own father, And when Joab had the opportunity, I tell you, he put a dart through him and killed the boy. There was bitterness on that side, you see. And this is what broke David's heart. I don't think David ever recovered from that. And when Absalom took over and David fled from Jerusalem, law and order had disappeared. And no longer was the worship of the living and true God. And the question is, if the foundations be destroyed... What can the righteous do? And that's still a good question. It's a good question today when the authority of the Word of God is being challenged on every hand. We have the new morality, which actually is old sin, which the Bible has condemned from the very beginning. And the question is, what can the righteous do? Well, I'll tell you what the righteous can do, what the psalmist tells us. Listen to this. The Lord's in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold the children of man. He's testing. God is watching us today. And friends, the only place to turn is to him. That's what the righteous can do. When the foundations are taken out from down here, then you have God to cling to. Abraham reached that place. When it says, Abraham, believed God, it means Abraham just threw his arms around God held on. He believed God. And these are days when we can believe God and hold on to Him. And I say it's time for many of us who can't sing to at least say the hallelujah chorus. How wonderful God is. Now, verse 5, the Lord trieth the righteous, or testeth the righteous, but the wicked and him who loveth violence his soul hateth. God's going to make the distinction. God knows whose are His. And he tests those that are his own. Maybe he's testing you. He's tested me. And it doesn't mean he hates us, but he's testing us for our good, his glory. But the wicked that loveth violence, God hates him. 
And this idea that God is just lovey-dovey, you better read the Psalms again. God hates the wicked that hold on to their wickedness. And I don't think God loves the devil. I think God hates him. And he hates those that have no notion of turning to God. Now, very frankly, don't like this distinction that I hear today. Oh, God loves the sinner, but he hates his sin. My friend, God has loved you so much, he gave his son to die for you. But if you persist in your sin and continue in that sin, you are the enemy of God, and God is your enemy. Let's make that very clear today. God wants to save you and will save you. But until you turn to him, and when you turn to him, you will forsake your iniquity and your sin. And until then, may I say to you this idea today that God is a lovey-dovey and he's a sentimental old gentleman from Georgia, you're wrong. He's not that at all. Now he goes on to say here, "...upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest." This shall be the portion of their cup. You see, the cup of iniquity is filling up today. God's letting it fill up. He's not doing anything right now. The wicked prosper today. He makes it rain on the unjust as well as the just. In fact, it looks to me like they get more rain than anybody else. And this is their day. And the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth be wholly upright. Friends, this is a marvelous psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. And it reveals here in a very wonderful way that in a time of trouble, when the foundations are removed, and they are today, we're to look from earth to heaven. We're to look to him. And what a wonderful picture this is. Now, that brings us to the 12th psalm. Now, the 12th psalm is prophetically, like I think the preceding ones, It refers ultimately for a final fulfillment to the final interpretation to the days of the tribulation. That'll come upon Israel's godly remnant in that day. And we must understand it's the remnant, the godly remnant of the nation and the godly Gentiles in that day. Now, in the opening verses here, we find a description of the apostasy that will be in those days. You see, there's an apostasy of that nation as well as an apostasy of the church. Listen, help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. And it's easy to develop an Elijah complex. I only am left. I'm the only one standing for God today. A lot of us develop that complex. It's not accurate, but the godly man ceases. For the faithful fail from among the children of man. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. And if there was a day when Christians needed to speak the truth, that is, we ought not to say one thing to a man's face and another thing to his back. This double heart, a double face, two-faced, it's an awful thing today. Now, verse 3, "...the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things." My, how he goes after pride in this psalm here. Who have said, with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? We're going to say what we please. And the apostasy in the church is noted by pride like this that speaks great things. Jude speaks of the apostasy coming in the church. 
their mouth speaketh great swelling words. In other words, they're a bunch of liars, if you please. And that's what we have here. Now, as you move on down in this psalm, what about those that are gods? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him who puffeth at him. Or putting it like this, I will set him in safety at whom they puff. And that's what the enemy does today to the godly, will do in that day. They just huff and puff like the old wolf with the little pigs, you remember. They got in their house, at least one of them, his house stood up. The other two little pigs, they lost their house because the old wolf huffed and puffed it down. That's a good story, by the way, that illustrates actually what David is saying here. God says, I'll set him in safety at whom they put. I'll hide him in the cleft of the rock. I'll put him in the place of safety. Now, we're told here, as we move on down, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tested in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Now, the wicked boast, they use flattery. And who can you believe? Well, the words of the Lord are the ones that are pure. That's one reason we need to spend more time in this book, friends. This is the one place you can turn today. This is the fortress God wants to put us in. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Well, we live in a day like that. That'll be especially true in the Great Tribulation period. And the thing that was said to those in Jerusalem, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified. And they did that in mockery. But he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. This, may I say is a marvelous, wonderful picture that's given to us. It describes the temple worship in Jerusalem during, the, I think, the end of the age. And you remember the Lord Jesus said in his day, when they came out to arrest him, he said, the enemies drew near. He says, it's your hour and the power of darkness. And I think we go through that. And God won't let it happen to his own unless it'll accomplish some worthwhile purpose in their hearts and in their lives. Now, when we come to the 13th Psalm, and we certainly won't be able to go very far in this Psalm, it's another very brief Psalm, and it actually digs down deeper into the suffering of the godly remnant of his earthly people. And David expressed this brief Psalm when I think he was actually fleeing from probably Saul. And you remember at that time he complained back in 1 Samuel 26, 20, he says, I'm hunted, I'm chased about as a hunted partridge. It's open season for me. I'm just hunted like a bird is hunted. And this was something that became very distasteful to him naturally. But he found out that a time like that, he could turn to the Lord. And though this thing became very monotonous of having to flee from the enemy, he knew that in it all, God was training him and testing him. We'll have to wait till next time to go into that psalm. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. 
We learn today that even when pressure mounts and we feel like fleeing from our enemies, God's Word urges us to turn to the Lord and trust Him. Do you know someone who needs to hear this message? Well, if you want to share it, encourage them to visit ttb.org forward slash psalms. And if you'd like to give them the gift of Dr. McGee's complete five-year study, check out our Bible bus flash drive that's available for purchase at ttb.org or by calling us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now, this weekend, I hope that you're going to join me for Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon from Psalm 27 called The Mother Love and the Father God. Our human imagination and intellect can't fully grasp all that God is. So the writers of the Bible give us human terms that we can understand. Love, light, bread, father. But have you considered that God also has a motherly nature? Well, to listen online or see if your station carries a Sunday sermon, visit ttb.org or give us a call if we can help you find a station or an alternate listening option that works better for you. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you right back here next time as we continue to make our way through the Bible. Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.